Thriving, Not Surviving, with your host, Gina Gardner. To lead others, you first need to be the best version of yourself and lead from a place of wholeness. Motivation, empowerment, leadership, personal and spiritual development are just a few of the topics you will hear on Thriving, Not Surviving. So sit back and enjoy the show with your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there. My name's Gina Gardner, and I'm your host on Thriving Not Surviving. I'm really pleased to welcome you to tonight's show, and I have a great guest for you, Gail Page. Before we start, though, I'd just like to let you know that you can find me on YouTube, the website genuinely-u.com or enlightenedleadership.co, and I'm now on Patreon, so please do go and have a look. Now, I'm really excited about my guest today. We met uh, a little while ago, and having had a conversation with her, I feel that she's got so much really valuable information to give you about being assertive, about dealing with people who are bullish and difficult, because so many people struggle with that. But she also offers so much more. Now, as always, because I don't want to miss anything out, I'm going to read her bio to you. Gail Page is a leadership and communication coach, corporate trainer and speaker who helps to build healthy workplace relationships and positive cultures. She established Positive Pathways in 1999 and has extensive experience of providing leadership development coaching, conflict management training, anti-bullying workshops and behavioural change initiatives across a variety of corporate, health and public centre sector organisations. Advocating that the way we communicate directly impacts on all our relationships, Gail helps leaders to reduce workplace stress and generate positive and sustainable change at all levels of an organisation. She's passionate about improving team morale and individual resilience and well-being. An expert in addressing team conflict and bullying, Gail helps leaders and teams to create positive cultures by building healthy workplace relationships based around compassion, kindness and respect. And for those of you that know me well, you'll know that's why we get on. This leads to psychological safety becoming part of a company's DNA and paves the way to realising the individual and collective potential of the team and the organisation. So Gail, a huge welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Gina. It's lovely to be here. Now, I must explain that we are on opposite sides of the world, that it's night time for me and it's first thing in the morning for Gail. So tell us where you're based. I'm originally from Scotland, but I've been living in New Zealand for just over 14 years. Okay. So would you like to share with us, you know, how have you come to be working in the field of of bullying and conflict resolution and, uh, you know, creating a culture which is healthy? What's the journey? Uh, it's, (laughs) It's an interesting journey. I was teaching assertiveness at a local college 
And uh, someone I knew when I was doing my social work training rang me and said, uh, could you come and facilitate a meeting? I've got 30 angry social workers who are not coming to meetings because they're uh, verbally attacking each other. And I need you to come and sort it out. And I said, well, I don't really think that that's what you need. What you need is me or someone like me to come in and interview them individually and find out what's going on underneath all of this. And then on a team building day based on that. Well, the long and the short of it was uh, she asked me to do it um, and I did it. I had an absolute ball. <laughs> I loved it, especially the expressions on the faces of the social workers who had known me when I was a student you know, looking at why is she here? Anyway, um, it was so successful that the phone never stopped ringing. And that's how I actually ended up in business. Right. And I think for me, you know, every team's made up of individuals and we've all got our own stories. We've all got our own lenses that we see things through. And a lot of the time people get into these, these um, negative relationships and negative ways of speaking with each other because we don't get taught this at school. No, no, we don't. You know, no one teaches us how to have a conversation. We get taught to read and write, but we don't get taught, taught how to converse with someone in a respectful manner. And I think, you know, having seen what I saw when I was doing my social work, the stress and the pressure that people were under because of un unresolved issues in uh, teams. I thought there's no need for people to be feeling like this when all it takes is being able to have an assertive conversation. So that's that's basically how I got into it. It's interesting, isn't it, how I, often when I'm working with clients, they talk about that they avoid doing things because they don't want to be confrontational. That's and it's right. it that if things are going well, I can be nice. If things mm. aren't going well, it, there's got to be a confrontation because that's the only way I can deal with it. And often they wait, don't they? So they leave it and leave it and leave it until there's a big blow up and then right. burn bridges and relationships are spoiled. Yeah. So, you know, if, let's imagine you come into, um, well, actually, let's use the, the, if we may, the example that you started off with, which is a room full of angry social workers. And I too have done some work with social workers. And they are, I think, a much challenged group of people yeah. because they're, in a sense, they're almost in a no-win situation, aren't they? Totally. So could you use them almost as a case study to explain how you, your approach, what did you ask them, what did you find out, and then what did you suggest? Well, I'm very much about having a conversation with people, and everybody's different, so I don't have a specific way of going in to, to ask questions. Uh, and pretty much I just sort of say to, said to them, you know, so... Help me understand what led us to this. Yeah. What's been going on for you? Uh, you know, what unheard needs have you got? Yes. That means that you don't feel able to speak up. And just that one question unearthed so many things. And for a lot of people, and you will know this too, Gina, a lot of people, they've got stuff from the past that they've, they've not dealt with. Yeah where they've been made to feel really, really small or what have you. And because they haven't dealt with it, every single thing that happens in the now, in the present, will trigger something from the past. And it jumps on board and makes what's going on in the present ten times bigger than it actually is. 
Do you so, think, sorry to interrupt you, but do you not think too that one of the things that makes the difference in the sense of you going in and asking that question is that they a, have got permission to speak and that you listen. And yeah. sometimes I think if people would just listen twice as much as they talk, life would get a lot better, wouldn't it? Very, very true. <laughs> That's why we've got two of these, two of these. <laughs> the problem is that, you know, people open their mouths before they put their brain into gear. They do. And they end up putting mouth disease, literally, you know? Yeah. Um, I think everybody just wants to be heard. You know, I'm a great believer that, you know, a lot of the work I do allows people to find their voice and speak their truth and then stand in their power. Yeah. But as we said earlier, you know, we don't tell how to do that at school. Yeah. Where the, 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 um, the one-to-one meetings were concerned, um, I, I built the, uh, the team building based on the results of everything that everybody had said. And I could see people looking as if to say, hmm, that's what I had said. You know, all these little light bulbs were going off for them. But there was a lot of people looking and going, oh, I think that's what I said. So they realized that they were all feeling the same. I was about to spoke up. To say. Because as you said earlier, confronta- fear of confrontation is what leads to conflict. So were there lots of common themes and have you found in your work that there are you know, certain themes that crop up time and time again? Yes, yes. I think a lot of, a lot of the work I do is, is really quite deep um, with people and it, it's, it's always based in the past, always. And it's getting people to look at, you know, for me, assertiveness, it's, it, it's just, when I read my first assertiveness book, it was like coming home. Mm-hmm. It really was. And, and if I can help someone else feel assertive and comfortable in, in stating what they feel and what their needs are and being open to hearing what someone else's needs are and what they feel, then to me, that's giving them a gift for life mm-hmm. because the difference it makes in, the, in their relationships is massive. Yes. You know, and I'm very happy to say that that group of social workers, the difference it made was massive because every one of them had been heard and they were able to say what it was they thought and what they needed. And isn't that what we all want? I I absolutely agree. And in so many organisations, people feel that there is nobody listening. And as Mm -hmm. a result, the resentments build. You know, it just strikes me that before we go much further into our conversation, one of the things that I've met, and I want to pick your brains really in terms of whether you've met it too, is that there are, there seem to be a, a group of people who think that being aggressive equates to being assertive. Now I have a very different view. I don't ever think that there is um, a place for aggression so you know how do you how do you equate that and if if people are um are using aggressive tactics and you know the people will be familiar i think with you know passive aggressive uh, which is often even i think more difficult to deal with yeah. um would you like to um give us your take on the the difference and the challenge between the two and how to resolve that I think the passive aggressive, um, you know, I used to be quite good at that. 
before I, I learned about assertiveness. Um, and I think for me, it was because I wasn't sure how to frame it. Yes. And because my feeling of not being heard was so strong, then I, I would come out with a passive aggressive. I think a lot of people don't actually know the difference. I mean, even in, in the dictionary, if you look up assertiveness, it has aggressive there, which really annoys me. I wish they'd rewrite the definition. I think that... Sorry to interrupt you, but could you give a couple of examples of what you would, would determine that's aggressive, that's passive aggressive, and that's assertive. So we, people have got a baseline. I think, you know, it's so useful to have a, a shared understanding of the yes. language that we're using. Yes. I think, okay, so if we look at passive, you'll get people who are passive for their own reasons. Often it's because they don't want to be um, part of a wrong decision being made. If you've got someone who's passive aggressive, they'll go, no, it's okay, I'll go along with that. Not really maybe what I thought, but no, no, I'll go along with it. I'll go along with it. Because that way, if something goes awry, they can say, oh, well, you know, I did say I wasn't that happy about it, but nobody listened. Yeah. Then you've got someone who's aggressive and say, they'll just turn and say, what a load of rubbish. Yeah. And they're very upfront about how they feel. Whereas someone who's assertive will listen to what's being said and they will ask questions. Mm -hmm. You know, and they will turn around and say, you know, if, if there's two differing opinions, they will turn around and say, I have a different perspective on that that I'd really like to share with you. Would you be open to listening? Or would you be open to hearing that? Being assertive isn't about win-lose win or win-win. It's about an equitable discussion where people can lead it both feeling heard and both feeling respected. I think that's basically what it comes down to for me. Thanks. I mean, what about you? What kind of um, situations have you found? I, I think, you know, the passive-aggressive um, happen, don't they, both in personal and professional relationships. And mm. I think, you know, if you're talking about personal relationships, it's, it's the huffing and puffing and the leaving the room and closing the door with a bang. Um, <laughs> or, or it's just slightly more false. Uh, making your feelings kn known, you think. Uh, mm -hmm. And assuming that the other person's a really good mind reader. Yes. Um, and I, I think that, you know, or I think when people barter, you know, I'll do what you want if you give me what I want. And I think uh, underpinning a lot of that is passive. Mm -hmm. In a sure. professional, professional setting, I think it's sometimes the, the, the half threat. Yes. It's not an overt threat, but something's left hanging. So mm. the other person is on the back foot or thinks that if I don't do what's asked of me in exactly that way, then mm. there will be, you know, uh, negative consequences. And I think yeah. if you go in, you know, I think there are abusive relationships in both personal and professional world. And mm. I think often the passive aggressive is more difficult to deal with than somebody who's being overtly aggressive because totally. that's easy to recognize you know, they're, they're out of order, they're shouting, banging about, mm. whatever. That passive aggression for me is, is sneaky. Yes, it is. And I think it, it's almost like a double whammy. If you imagine that you're in a meeting and um, you say something and this person says, 
Well, that was quite a good contribution from you. And if you take offence, they'll turn around and say, oh, for goodness sake, I was just joking. And then they'll turn around to the rest of the group and say, oh, Gail can't even take a joke. So it's like that double. Mm. And the tone of it as well is, is always meant to make the other person feel this big. I, it's, it's one of those things that, that in many organisations that I've worked in, that it's what I call the underground culture. Mm. That, you know, they, they, they purport that the culture is very friendly and very caring and compassionate with integrity. But mm-hmm. there, there are these undercurrents which I think really undermine ongoing success and they certainly have a hugely negative impact on people's well-being. Totally. And I think a lot of leaders that I've worked with I'll give you an example, a CEO um, that I was asked to go and, and have a chat with. Um, I, I knocked on the door of his office and, he, and he, he said, come. So I went in and he said, close the door behind you, girl. And I thought, okay, you don't know me well enough to call me girl. And I was 40-odd at the time and I wasn't exactly a girl. No. I'm a feisty Scotswoman. You don't call me girl. So I said to him, um, you can either call me Gail on Miss Page, which would you prefer? And he sort of looked at me and he went, oh, just sit down. I said, tell you what, I said, I'm going to walk back out that door and I'm going to come back in and we're going to start this again. So I came in and he said, oh, hi, come in, Gail, sit down. Now him and I ended up having a phenomenally good relationship. Yeah. And it turned out that when he started off in his career, somebody had he loved the technical stuff. And then somebody said to him, oh, you would be really good in this, this um, team leader role. Anyway, poor guy, he managed to get promoted. But the thing was that he led by command and control because he never had any leadership development and he thought back to a boss that he had had who got stuff done. And he didn't really like being like that. How? He didn't know the difference. I apologise. Um, but how many people do you know who've been promoted to be team leaders or managers because they're good salesmen or good technicians? Mm, and there's an right. assumption that the man management bit, you'll just catch on the sly. Yeah, because nobody sees that as very important and it's, oh, just, you know, just get on with it. But why is it that the soft skills are always the hardest, Gina? Well, I think partly because the soft skills are often seen as something lesser um mm-hmm. i think they're often seen um uh, I, I think that's the strength of the, the divine feminine energy that's coming in and it's not that just women have those uh, that that energy men do too but it's the mm-hmm. energy around care nurture compassion um and wanting to treat other people um kindly that yes. i think sometimes in the masculine direct got to get it done at any cost mm. energy and women can have that too oh, yes. um, that actually the people um are collateral damage yes um and i think those, yeah those companies mm. um will not will not succeed over time they may in the short term, and that style of leadership works well in an emergency or for very short term if you're under pressure. But mm. people, I think, are your gold. And if you're going to look after your treasure, then you need to treasure them and 
treat them well. That doesn't mean that you don't have high standards, quite the opposite. But anyway, I want to get enough of me. I want to hear from you. So people listening to this, what can gems can you give them? around helping them if they don't feel particularly assertive, how they can be assertive, or if they recognise that actually they've been passive aggressive um, or aggressive, how they can, uh, can turn that round? First of all, I think it's recognising how you feel and trying to work out whether this is a, a today thing, a present thing, or whether it's based on the past. Right. You know, I always say to people, the best gift you will ever give yourself is your first assertiveness book. I really, really, I cannot emphasize the difference that it made in my life mm-hmm. when I learned how to be assertive. It was, oh my goodness, it just turned my world around. It was amazing. Yeah. If, I'm a great believer, if I'm, not, if I'm not as good at something as I would like to be, I find someone who is a lot better at it than me. And there are plenty of coaches out there who can help you. You know, it's not about being weak. In New Zealand, 75% of my clients are men. And it was the exact opposite in the UK. That's interesting, isn't it? And I think it's amazing because, you know, in New Zealand, it's very much, oh, Kiwi bloke, you know, don't talk about your feelings and what have you. But New Zealand is second highest in the world for suicide. Really? And that is such a sad fact. It really is. And a lot of the guys that I've spoken with, you know, they'll say, oh, I can't talk to my mate about that. Yeah. One, one chap I was, uh, I was coaching, it turned out he was being sexually harassed at his workplace. He worked mainly with middle-aged women. And they thought nothing about coming in, because he worked out a lot, and they thought nothing about coming in and grabbing his arm and, grabbing his shirt, you know, let's, let, let's see your, your um, six-pack and things like this. And he said, you know, he says, if I went and spoke to my mates about that, they'd say, oh, you're lucky devil. Yeah. I wish I had a bit of that. But for him, he, he really, really felt belittled mm. and he felt that people didn't actually recognize what he was going through. And he said, you know, if, if I had been a woman and a man was doing that to me, yeah. Also, oh, you could, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right, exactly. So I think it's you know, if you haven't got a skill, reach out and find someone who has, because the difference it will make in your life is massive. Yeah, and you know, anybody who's listening to this, the Enlightened Leadership Program has a lot in it that will help you to be assertive, and that can be delivered online, fully supported right the way through. Uh, by leadership facilitators, um, but you don't have to feel on your own. And if you're uh, you're not a leader um, and that you have a, an issue around it, then the Thrive Together Tribe and the Thriving Not Surviving program, again, lots of help in terms of self-belief, being assertive, having the confidence to take control of your life and step into your own power. And it's really important. Mm-hmm. But Gail, where can people find you? Um, who do you work with and you know people are listening to this all over the world so how can they find you and you know can they work with you even if they're not in New Zealand oh totally yes so my website is www.positivepathways.co.nz 
And I work with people all over the world, literally. I've got clients in Holland, in France, in the UK, in America, Australia, and in New Zealand. And the beauty of it is, you know, with social, well, not social media, but the, but the internet, you know, we can connect on Zoom, Skype, telephone, whatever. Well, we're uh, proof of that, aren't we? We're the other yeah, but yes, um, what was the other part of it you asked? You very kindly have offered a free gift. Um, yes, I have. So yes. What's the free gift that you're offering our viewers and listeners? So I'm offering anybody who wants one, a 30-minute discovery session where they can ask me anything that they want and I guarantee that they will leave with one light bulb moment. That's absolutely brilliant. And we'll put all of the, uh, the contact details in the show notes. So thank you so much. The time has come. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, Gina. That's brilliant. Um, don't go away, folks, because um, after a quick advert, then it's the genuine chat with Rachel and I. Uh, looking forward to seeing you then. Thanks very much indeed. See you in a minute. Imagine being a highly successful, enlightened leader who is in complete alignment with your best self, who makes a positive difference on a daily basis. Let me introduce Gina Gardner, an expert in developing transformational leadership with over 30 years of experience. Gina has developed a unique and unrivaled approach to help you step into your genuine power to become an enlightened leader. And when you do, amazing things happen. Go to enlightenedleadership.co or email Gina at gina at genuinely-u.com. Hello everyone and welcome back. As you know on BBS Radio, um, Rachel and I have a genuine chat and today's theme is all about self-love. Yeah. Now I've just come off the phone from working with a client uh-huh. and during that session there was a realisation that she had tied up um, her sense of being loved with how much she um, was approved of okay yeah. i'm loved if i do this i'm loved if i've got that okay very a very human manner of being <laughs> and a huge connection for her between loving herself and how much she was earning and how well she was doing mm-hmm. and she cited two examples which i thought were really worth examining and i think it's such a common problem for people because yeah. if you don't love who you are then it doesn't matter how much other people love you then it's never going to be enough is it yeah so she cited two examples and one is that she had just run her first triathlon oh, cool um and as a result had raised 1600 pounds um in memory of her cousin who died of, of cancer and she was raising money for a particular charity 
And my immediate reaction to her was, that's brilliant mm-hmm. to run your first triathlon and do it. Yeah. And she said, my first reaction was, I didn't do it fast enough. Mm-hmm. And the second was, my dad uh, texted me and said, well done, you really inspire me. Mm-hmm. And at the time, she just thought, well, that's nice. But when we were talking, what she recognised was, yeah, but I need to do better. I need to be faster because then that my dad will still be inspired by me. He will still love me. And then the other was around her business success and and how much she was earning. Mm-hmm. And her brother had arrived in a brand new Mercedes and was very chuffed with his Mercedes. And he is someone who... Um, is, is a high earner, works for one of the big financial companies, and it is a very high earner. Uh-huh. And they were talking about their lives, and her brother was saying, I'm so You know, I hate my job. Uh-huh. And we were talking about how do you, how do you align mm-hmm. loving who you are um, and recognising that it doesn't matter how much money you have, how big a car you've got, how many races you run, if you don't intrinsically love and appreciate who you are, it will never be enough. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, often p- ambitious people will cite uh, uh, a lack of fulfilling their core desire. And um, often you will find amongst the highly successful, that top, top 1% of people, some kind of dysfunction that, that they cite as being their driving um, reason behind it and so on and so forth, an anger or a desire to prove to somebody or something like that. So I think the main point is that, that strikes me is that, that both of those scenarios can coexist within your mind um, and be valid at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's totally fine to be really happy with yourself and proud of what you've achieved and also to hope that next time we'll do better. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, um, that's, that's often a very healthy thing. It, it is, it's absolutely. The one thing I would say, one of the things we talked about is the difference between I want to be better, mm-hmm. presupposition is that I'm not good now, and I want to be even better. I want to build on my yeah. capacity now to, to fulfill my potential. I guess the dysfunction can come up that if, if your client had set herself a goal at the beginning, had achieved, you know, finished it, crossed the finishing line of the race, but hadn't achieved her time and she was disappointed with it, then, then that is a, a logical and not a dysfunctional way of, of behaving. Yeah. But if, if she hadn't even set herself a time, if she'd just set herself the goal of, I'm going to achieve it, then crosses the line and immediately... I mean, you know, doesn't spend any time in, in that space of congratulating and herself. Enjoying and it. enjoying it. Then immediately begins to criticise herself for a goal that she hadn't even set herself. Then yes, that is a destructive mindset, isn't it? I th- and I think I want to make, you know, there's, this is a continuum. There are people who are incredibly destructive of themselves because they don't love who they are and nothing they ever do is good enough. Yeah. And, and there are times where... Um, where we we pop in and out of this where there are times that we love ourselves when you know on those days when we're feeling um good and our biorhythms are in place and we've had enough sleep and all of that and and there are then times when we fall 
back into an old pattern. Yes. And it's so often how um, how we were brought up, whether we felt we were loved by our parents, whether um, we were led to believe that we were only loved if we were complying with how they wanted us to be. Um, and how often in in families where you know a parent leaves nothing to do with the child, but that child makes meaning of it. That yep. if my mum or my dad loved me enough and I was good enough, they would have stayed. Right. So I mean, there are any number of scenarios, but ultimately, I think it comes down to you know what are the criteria you use for other people. Right. You know if if you love other people because of how they are. Inevitably, those people are going to have flaws because we all do. That's what makes us human. But if we have these impossible and never-endingly, um, that's not very good language, but if we have impossible standards for ourselves, which as soon as we meet them, we then create more and more and more criteria that have to be in place, which is very common around self-worth and happiness, for example, then you've got to question what's really going on here well if you're if you're basically self-flagellating by constantly um saying that wasn't good enough move on there is an aspect of of achieving something and in achieving it realizing in, in that moment that actually oh it, that's not really what i was after there is that oh, aspect think. to this sort of dynamic of oh that wasn't good enough but sometimes you don't know until you, you've arrived no. at the place it, it, that, that maybe that's, that's not really where it was and all, all that is part of the learning. The, di the dysfunction comes is if you then beat yourself up. I, I heard recently that the best phrase you can say to yourself in these moments is, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> because it's acknowledgement that, you know, life is messy and, um, and often it is, it is very hard for us to have clarity for yes. ourselves, about ourselves. I think so. Interesting, from the conversation, we were talking about the importance of language. And the client said, yeah, I'm going to talk to myself about I'm lovable. And I said, well, that's not the same as loving who you are. Mm. It's perfectly possible to be lovable and nobody love you or you not love you. Mm -hmm. um, it's, again, putting it in the... In the, in the realm of possibility rather than being I love and appreciate who I am it, it's a it's a way of constructing language that that creates a space between you and the yes, action absolutely so it could be seen as as a bit of a cop-out I mean it's, it's more active and definitely more of a commitment to say I am loved and I love who I am yeah. That yeah, doesn't mean to say that, statements. Uh, you know, that even with you talking about loving yourself or loving other people, um, you know, you can love somebody but not like the behaviours that they are demonstrating. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for many parents, isn't it? That, that they love their child, but actually when their child's acting up, they don't actually love that behaviour. Yes, but of course, I mean, again, time has an aspect on, on that yeah. too, because... You can definitely say that with absolute truth in, in a single moment, but after 10 years of saying it, then you're probably lying about the love bit. <laughs> yeah, because not liking somebody's behaviour over a consistently long period of time, 
erodes. I, I would suspect that your love for them has eroded at some point too. I think that that, that <laughs> may don't forget time. <laughs> that that may be that that may very very well be true. But at the core of our life's lesson, I think one of the very important lessons for us to learn, and I think it is a lesson that spans our life. I don't think it's a lesson that you've learned and it's done. Yeah. Is to love and appreciate who you are, wobbly bits and all. And we've all got our foibles and our areas for development. But if you take on the principle that my best self today is the foundation of developing my next best self and my next best self, because it's an ongoing iteration and development, mm. you're never done, are you? No. Because wherever you are, there's always room for that development. And I'm using the word development rather than improvement mm -hmm. quite specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, and this the, the language we use, I it's this has got to be I've got to be better. If you then say I want to be even better, mm -hmm. there's a very different energy behind that, isn't there? Yes. Um again it all comes down to an individual and, and somebody whose language can can be seemingly very harsh to to my ears um may actually be doing the absolute best for themselves so you know this this is the difficulty in language <laughs> words have a defined meaning but but they don't actually in the manner of their use because well, because the meaning is, is different isn't it your defined definition of any word may be different to mine or to Fred Gloss or whoever well i think i think often that that uh, habit, habits and context and so on and so forth and, and also the energy in which they're said, you know, in that particular moment, you know, these, these are all aspects to, to people's language. But generally speaking, yeah, if somebody's saying, I've got to do better rather than I'd like to be, I'd like to be even better, just the intonation that they've placed upon those words would indicate to you that in the first instance they're being a bit too harsh on themselves and they probably just need to sit back and... And, and acknowledge what they have achieved before trying to move on to the next step. And then the second one, you, you would probably get the feeling that the person had done a little bit of the internalising and, and was in a in a more sort of balanced, stable mindset. So yeah, you know. Um, but but again, you know, the thing with language is it's so much in off the moment, isn't it? It is, and how you deliver it, the body language, the energy, and the intention behind it is all part of this. And yeah. I don't want to make this very. It's not simplistic. It's it's a complex no, point. issue, isn't it? Which <laughs> yes. is why it's a life. Self love lesson. is complex. <laughs> but I would say to you know, if you're watching or listening to this, just ask yourself the question: you know, do you like who you are? Do you love who you are? I was working with a client on Tuesday night, and this is a guy who's very bright, successful in his work, um, but spends a lot of his time being angry and frustrated with himself and with other people because they don't live up to his expectations, which from the outside look pretty unmanageable. Right. Um, and in talking to him, um, I asked him, okay, name, you know, list five things that you think that you're good at mm -hmm. or things that you like about yourself. And there was quite a long silence, mm -hmm. and there was an um, and an um, and, and then he started to talk about the things that he liked about um, the impact on other people. Mm -hmm. 
rather than things that he liked about himself. And it was like getting blood out of a stone. When I then said to him, okay, how much easier would it be um, if I said to you, can you give me a list of the things that you don't like and you don't approve of? And his face lit up because he was on really firm ground here. He knew exactly <laughs> what it was. was a subject he liked. And he was ready to reel them off. And I said, you know, I don't want you to reel them off. I just want you to recognise <laughs> yeah. that actually you recognise all of the things that you don't like about yourself. Um, and you don't recognise pretty well any of the things that actually are that you, that you do well and that you are well, because this is not about just, you know, I don't want this to come across as you're lovable when you're doing, yeah. it, you're lovable when you're being yeah. as well. Um, and, you know, another person very scarred by um, the, the situation in his early life and moving forward, yeah. but for him recognising that he has a value in and of himself, mm-hmm that is nothing to do with what he can uh, achieve in terms of, again, he had a very strong sense of, if I'm successful financially, then I'll feel better about myself. Um, But also, um, if everybody tells me how wonderful I am, and constantly says, well well done, well done, then in that split second, I'll feel better about myself, but that as soon as that's gone, very quickly, then I need somebody else and somebody else and somebody else to tell me how good I am, how valuable I am as a human being, mm-hmm. because I don't intrinsically value who I am. You know, my, my husband has um, a real issue with the affirmations of I am enough. Okay. And, um, and he has been extorted on many occasions by uh, coaches, mainly the female variety, I have to say, to uh, tell himself that he is enough and he hates it. Mm-hmm. And many coaches, many people don't really understand where he's coming from, but I totally do. And it's not that he hates himself. It's not that he doesn't know he's enough. It's just that he wants to be better. And that is not a negative thing. It is if he was being destructive. And I think that's where it's so easy to make generalizations. I mean, I've used um, the affirmation. I don't want to call it an affirmation. Uh, but I've used the technique of iron enough, and for many people, it's worked really well. Yeah. When they have not believed that they were enough, and yeah. their starting point was that, and that's in a sense down to the skill of the coach, isn't it, to determine? Yes. Um, people who want who strive to be the best version of themselves, and I know your husband, so I yeah. know that that is the case. So then it is, you know. That it is the recognition that this is a journey, and when you strive to be the best you can be, that that is ongoing. You never actually get there. Yeah. But it is also about truly appreciating the level to which you have um, got to achieved, and recognizing that that has that you have value and that you love who you are. Yeah. But at the same time, you want to consistently fulfil your potential. And that can be very constructive yeah. if it's done in that way. Yeah. I always think about uh, the animal world and um, horses in particular. 
it's not true to say that animals don't have low self-esteem because you can find animals with anxiety issues and so on and so forth. And again, we have to sort of go back and unpick why they have it. But the truth about animals is that they don't tell themselves stories in the way that we do. They don't construct futures and they don't necessarily relive the past. They, they do learn habits and they do yes. learn triggers, for sure. The thing about horses and dogs, um, any animal that exists with humanity in, in any sense, is that, that they are constantly seeking that point of balance where they are not under direct pressure and yet not totally let off the hook. Yeah, They just want that sense of balance. Mm. So the way to get them to do things is to teach them that when they're doing what you wish them to do, they will have pressure taken off them. And when, when you wish, when they're not doing something, then pressure will be applied in whatever way. Okay, And, and this is very true of us. And, and it, it has to be said that Mother Nature is set up so that it's, it's necessary for us to have pressure. <laughs> Absolutely. Otherwise, you pressureless, it would be well, your life a nothing life. It would be floating around in in, uh, in fog, really, wouldn't it? This is where I'm going to quote the second law of thermodynamics that you're again, Gina. <laughs> <laughs> and the blip that is within that scientific theory, which the scientists cannot explain, which is evolution. And evolution is... They do not know why evolution exists because the rest of the universe is moving towards entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. And yet there is an evolutionary process. And they don't know why these two uh, paradoxical forces exist, but they do. And, and my take on it is, this is what God, universe, source, whatever your higher power name happens to be, this is the point of existence to evolve. So the pressure of entropy, you know, pushing, you're trying to encourage you to at the lowest level of, of disorder, um, you are meant to feel it and you are meant to rise up against it. You are meant to feel pressure. The, the negative thing about not loving yourself um, um, is that you, you sit too, too long in that feeling of pressure and, and, or, or you try to fight against it in, in and of itself. And that, that's where not loving yourself can, can, can sit, I think. I, I would agree with you. What I would say is that when that pressure has no counterbalance yes that it's only pressure and there is no recognition that yes you need the pressure in order to have there's got to be momentum hasn't there yeah but at the same time when that pressure is is either unrelenting or there is no counterbalance to it it can become very destructive which is why i will often say to 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 my daughter you know take the pressure off yourself just Take a breath. Just stop. Do, do nothing. Exist within a vacuum if, if need be. Just balance things out. It's, you know, oh right. Not a lot of what we are striving for and what we believe we must achieve in order to be loved. Not a lot of it is actually very important in the grand scheme of the universe. No, but most very important. Most of it can wait a day. Yeah. Most of it. <laughs> and I think that's a, a really interesting way of, of looking at things. I would like to say moment by moment in the recognition that you are each of us, a, a unique, amazing, 
human being, even if you just looked at, it, at, at you know, the physical machinery of us, um, amazing. And you bring with you your experience, your enthusiasms, your expertise, your skills, and so on. But recognizing that you know, first and foremost, you're a human being, not a human doing. Um, and we're not a human bank balance or a human race sheet or any of those things. And it is about learning to love and appreciate who you are and then not trying to find external things that make you feel better. And if you're using food or drink or alcohol or drugs or shopping or sex or anything um, or other people's uh, opinions to make you feel whole, then you need to do some work. And if you're interested, there's a lot of stuff on the website, genuinely-you.com, um, Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. Um, one of the books has got a lot in there that will help you find that balance between having no pressure and having too much pressure and actually learning to love and appreciate who you are. So we're at the end of today's uh, show. Thank you very much for joining us. If those of you that have listened before will know that both of us have got lots of books on Emerson. Uh, Rachel Davidson has got um, a, a trilogy, the Beyond Veils series, which uh, consists of three books, uh, and they're spiritual novels. And you'll find lots of books to help you be the best version of you that you can be um, on the website and also on Amazon. Um, thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you on the next show. Take care. And look at just what an amazing human being you are. Bye-bye now. If you're a businesswoman who is overwhelmed or suffering from imposter syndrome, who is tired of having one disastrous relationship after another, or who finds it hard just to say no. Well, it's time to take care of you. You get the best out of life by contacting Gina Gardner, relationship coach and best-selling author and motivational speaker. Just visit genuinely-u.com or you can email Gina directly at gina at genuinely-u.com. Take action now. Start to thrive rather than simply survive. <laughs>